Welcome to Offscript, where we expose the cultural pressures that quietly squeeze us into the mold of this age by applying ancient biblical insights to present-day issues. I'm Sean here with Rose and Dan, and today we're talking about a very important subject that touches all of our lives called work. We want to look at this from a biblical perspective and tie it into how people in our culture generally think about work and the impressions that people have about it and how work is perceived in our culture. So mm. to start, I just wanted to bring us to Genesis 2.15 where it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. From this scripture, we see even before the fall, even before anything went wrong, even before rebellion entered the picture, that God gives humanity work in paradise. And then in Isaiah 65, verse 21, we read, They shall build houses, which if anyone's ever built a house, that takes work, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. In the beginning we have work, even before sin enters the picture. In the end, in the kingdom age, when everything wrong with the world is made right, work is still very much a part of the vision of the future. So my position on the subject of work is that it is a gift from God and that it is a good thing. What do you guys have uh, as far as thoughts? I can be kind of lazy sometimes, not that I'm proud of it, especially as uh, a child, my parents would say things like that and they would say, we will work in the kingdom, work is a good thing. And I was maybe a little slow and took convincing, but it is, uh, it is a good point that you bring up. Uh, sometimes you look at the curse and you look at God telling Adam that he will get fruit by you know, the sweat of his brow. And uh, work is not a new thing at that point. Rather, it's the difficulty of the work and then not getting the fruits of it in the same way. That verse from Isaiah talks about reaping the fruit and true work, apart from sin and apart from the curse, will be truly gratifying. I personally love working. Mm. And maybe that's part of my personality. I'm the kind of guy that when I go on vacation, I like to take a couple of hours every day and work yeah. while I'm on vacation. And if I don't, I'm not as happy as if I do. I just like getting things done, you know, whether it's mowing a lawn or doing work for money or just producing something. And I don't know if that's how I'm wired and I'm whatever percentage of human humankind or if that's how we're all wired i mean how is it for you guys yeah i get that i enjoy certain types of work <laughs> i enjoy more physical work than mental work i have found in the past few years i've actually um been trying to find something that as opposed to knowledge work is physical sort of tactile work so that's the kind of work that i enjoy and i think there are many places in the bible that talk about man's predisposition to work in fact it's part of the curse i think it says in genesis that the man well we can read it uh genesis 3 17 um, skipping probably to the uh, second part of that verse curses the ground because of you and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life 
but thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's not what I wanted to read. Well, it's still interesting, though, because right. I think that's a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of misconceptions about work in our culture, and I'm sure among Christians as well, that work is this terrible, toilsome chore, mm. and they might look back to the fall, to, to Genesis chapter 3, and, and say, well, this is part of the curse. But that curse right there is not on work itself, but on the fact that it's so much work to work mm -hmm. and yeah. that it's going to, to, you know, the ground is going to be difficult and these thorns and thistles and, and that sort of thing. But even in a world without weeds, you would still have to plow the ground and you'd have to plant the seeds and you'd have to harvest them and you'd probably still have to deal with the birds, you know? So <laughs> where are you going with that? Just that it's so ingrained in the idea of work and, and its prominence, I guess, in our in our lives. I just looked up the phrase, how do Americans feel about work? And the first three results are, the first is from Forbes, where it says most Americans are unhappy at work. The second is from ABC News, where it says Americans overworked, overstressed. And then the third is from salary.com, which says nine reasons Americans increasingly hate their jobs. Mm. <laughs> and, and that's I, why we love our weekends. Right, mm -hmm. right. And, and so there is, there is definitely a mindset in our culture that looks at work in a negative sense. Yeah. And there's a lot in our culture that focuses on the mini vacation that we get each week, depending on what kind of job you work. You know, if you get Saturday and Sunday off or if it's a different day or however that works for you. And then the big vacation when you get a week off or two weeks or however many weeks you get that so much of our mindset is geared towards what are we going to do when we're not at work? Yeah. <laughs> On Monday, it's a conversation started. Did you do anything fun this weekend? Yeah. You remember that movie? It's kind of a cheesy movie called The Office where... This guy comes into work and he says, oh, looks yeah. like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like such a stupid line, but it's so funny. And it encapsulates this this mindset, which is that Monday's a bad day of the week. Mm. You know, mm. we don't have a TGIM restaurant. It's thank God it's Friday, not thank God it's <laughs> Monday, right? Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's just American culture, like in Japan where working is more highly esteemed. Maybe they do have TGIM and happy hour <laughs> on Monday after work, but uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but at least here, there is there is definitely a negative attitude that people have towards work, and the biblical point of view is radical and it is reasonable if you adjust your mind a little bit to what it says. You know, I've been in situations where I've talked to people and found my own self thinking like this, where there's this a scenario, right? You're at work and you get it, you get an opportunity to get away with something. You can leave work early and still get paid for that hour, or you can kind of cut corners where you slack off. And not only are you expected from the world's point of view to take advantage of those situations, it's weird when you don't and people look at you in, in a weird way. Like, why wouldn't you bill for those extra couple hours it's not like they're going to notice anyway and just this whole idea of kind of getting one over on your employer you remind me of this landscaping job i had and the way it worked is there were two 
bosses. There was the main boss, the owner, who bidded the jobs and managed the schedule, but didn't actually show up Mm. almost ever. But you never knew when he would show up. And that was part of the genius of his management style. It's a gamble. Yeah, and then then there was the foreman. And the foreman's there to make sure everybody actually does work. And there was this one day, it was like an eclipse. You know, one of these rare moments where both of them, for whatever reason, were, they were both gone and it was a work day and everybody knew it. And you should have seen the guys in the garage. I mean, nobody was working that day. And they all went off and they bought a bunch of beer and they decided to have a party in the tool shed. They had a case of beer and they were they were smoking marijuana as well. At this point in my life, this is obviously some years ago, more than a decade ago for the record. <laughs> uh, at this point in my life, I was with all my heart seeking to follow Christ. And so I knew I couldn't join in. But I also was put in this really weird situation where I'm, I'm hanging out in the garage like by myself because these other guys are all living it up in the tool shed, hotboxing it in there and, and getting wasted. And, and, and you know, as a Christian, I'm not going to do that because yeah. the scriptures say to be sober. So a couple of them come in and they want me to join them. And, they, and I say, I'm sorry, I just I can't. And, and they get really mad at me. Mm. And they started making fun of me and... I think to some degree getting nervous that I was going to tell on them. Right. It's like if you're if you're not going to partake in this, then you might be a snitch, you know? Right. Mm. I don't remember what I said to get out of it, but I somehow was able to defuse the situation and they went back and it was all fine. But, you know, there is this mindset that if you can take an inch, take it. If you yeah. can take a mile, take it. Take whatever you can take because no one's watching, right? It's almost your right when these situations present themselves to take advantage of it. That, I think, is the default attitude of work in the present day and age. And the underlying thought behind this is that ultimately you work for your own gratification, for your own advancement in life, for your own finances. If you are eventually the end all of your work, you would seek to take advantage of those opportunities. I'll tell a story real quick from my from my own life more recently. I was working for a, for a media company down the city and I was really tired of my job. I was tired of, of what I was doing I was tired of the kind of work I was doing, the kind of people that I was talking to for these. I'm a reporter, so the kind of people I was talking to for the stories that I would write. And I was just in a rut, you know, and I was thinking about moving upstate to where I currently am. Anyway, what happened was I'd go into work and I would just dread it. I would dread the work that I was doing. So instead of doing that work, I would find myself logging onto Facebook or, you know, onto Twitter or reading news stories. And, you know, that's a part of my job, but it's not as big a part of my job as I made it. It was really a distraction excuse to, to not do the work that I was supposed to be doing. And I was convicted about that. And it's something, you know, that I prayed about and that has gotten better, but it got to the point that I I remember it vividly. I was sitting at my desk and I didn't want to do the work I was doing. So I logged onto Facebook real quick and, or Twitter, it might've been. And then I was like, no, I'm not supposed to be doing this. So I logged back out. And then I logged back in like five seconds later. And I just stopped for a second. And I was like, you know, I can't believe I just did that. Like I literally closed the window and opened it back up, seeking to flee from the work that I was supposed to be doing. So that right there was one of the reasons that 
I got off Facebook. Uh, it wasn't, you know, all my friends make fun of me for not having Facebook, mm-hmm. but part of it was this, that it was a crutch for me to sort of, it was a distraction for me. It was a way for you to distract yourself. Right. So getting off of it was a way to sort of force myself to not do it. I thought at this time I'd share some of these verses I found in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is one of the most fascinating books of the whole Bible. And that's because it's it's so negative. Yeah. <laughs> one of the interesting things about Ecclesiastes, although it's saying over and over and over again, all is vanity and vexation and mm-hmm. chasing after the wind. And yet work is looked at in a very positive way in Ecclesiastes, and repeatedly so. So Ecclesiastes 2.24 says... There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? And then Ecclesiastes 3.12 says, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And so it's such a funny way to put it because toil is a very negative word for work. Right. And yet the way Ecclesiastes puts this is take pleasure in all his toil. And so like the the whole point of Ecclesiastes is, look, everything is just going to be whatever anyhow. So there's no real point. But he has his many conclusions as he goes through. And these conclusions are like, well, except for work and food. Right. those, Those are pretty good. And in chapter nine, he, he talks about your wife, and he's like, "Enjoy your wife. Yeah. That's okay." You know, but it's like a very short else, list of good things. Everything else is basically useless. No, it is a funny contrast because you're right. The whole book is just about like absolutes. This is vanity and striving after wind, and this is vanity and striving after wind. And you get to the work part, and he says it is good. He not only says it's good; he says you should take pleasure in your work, mm. and that it's God's gift to us. This is not like a happy person. Ecclesiastes is a depresso book. You know, this is somebody that's looking at the dark side of everything, looking at how he might build some structure and how great it's going to be. And then the next thought pops in his mind. But then when I die, what if some fool inherits this and and messes it all up? You know, like there's no... It's definitely the Debbie Downer. Right, definitely. And yet he has this incredible perspective on work. He says in Ecclesiastes 5.12, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Isn't that something? Or chapter 5 again in verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. It's really, I think, saying things in a very strong way because it is such a depressing book and yet work is so universally lauded in it that it is this great gift from God that he gives to humankind and that we should take pleasure in our work that to whatever degree we can, obviously, you know, some work is better than others. We should take pleasure in it. And then one last one from Ecclesiastes in chapter 9. 
verse 9, it says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, enjoy your wife and your pathetic life. Yeah, he's so salty. <laughs> because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in the grave to which you are going. So, yeah, you're, you're all just going to die anyhow. So you might as well enjoy your wife and enjoy your work. And not just enjoy your work, but work. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You know, this is like a huge work ethic that we find here in yeah. this ancient Jewish document. And God honors that. It says in the Bible to work heartily unto the Lord, not work heartily unto your employer. And you have the classic view of work where you're supposed to screw your employer over. But if you take the biblical view of work, the idea of cheating at work when you're working for God is detestable. And I think God honors good work. I mean, you look at Joseph in Egypt where, you know, here's this Jewish wilderness boy who has dreams in his head and who his brothers hate him enough to like sell him into slavery. (laughs) It says that God, you know, when he got to Egypt and he got into Potiphar's house, that God blessed the work of his hands and that Potiphar recognized that. And despite all the stuff that happened later, Potiphar, who was a pretty high official in, in, in the Egyptian government, made him, you know, overseer of his house. And, you know, I've seen that kind of blessing in my own life where, you know, I've gotten a job that completely unqualified for and i remember applying for it and being like you know i have no shot at this but you know they say aim high so and turns out that i got it and that you know led me launch my career and i think god really has a hand in if you let him has a hand in in your path as far as your job goes it's not like your job is separate from your relationship with god or right or your life in, in inside of christ We have this uh, part of our diversity network at work called the Work-Life Integration Network, and I was actually laughing with my boss about it a few weeks ago because I said to her, that's an interesting interesting thing to focus on because for the most part, I really like to keep my my life and my work life very separate. And she laughed and said, yeah, I totally agree. But coming back and thinking about it in the context of this, you sort of do have a top-down approach with um, your life before God. And that trickles over, obviously, into your personal life, but that trickles down into your work life as well. So that sort of work-life integration where, yeah, maybe your your work life doesn't spill over and fill the rest of it, but your dedication to God will come and fill your nine-to-five. Have you ever read any of those Proverbs where it talks about the sluggard? Mm-hmm. A little sleep, a little... Folding of the hands? Folding of the hands, yeah. <laughs> All right, let me just read two of them that are my favorites. This one's from... Proverbs 24, verse 30. I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I just love that. <laughs> it totally lures you to sleep with that, with the prose of, you know, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands, and then <laughs> boom. And then the second one is Proverbs twenty six thirteen. It says, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Oh, 
Uh, that one is my favorite right there. Yeah. So this is what we might call trash talk against being lazy. Mm. Mm. And this is not to say that the Bible advocates everyone being workaholics. No. I mean, there are a ton of scriptures about rest. Yeah, and enjoying the fruits of your labor. Mm-hmm. Right. And God actually builds into the Israelite calendar three weeks of festivals. Which is more we get in the U.S., uh, two weeks paid vacation. (laughs) So you have these three weeks of festivals, and a lot of what God tells them is you can't work. You're not Mm. allowed to work. Prepare your food, but that's about it. It's really funny that he has to tell them not to work. In an agrarian society, not working can be deadly if you don't have a God watching out for you. In other words, if it's harvest time or planting time, you can't take a day off. And if you do, you better trust that God's got your back, that with six-sevenths, you're able to do well enough to get by. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how that keeps the relationship close. First of all, the resting is good for them and for their benefit, but also that dependency on God and that need to trust. I also want to make one more point about the biblical view of work. Crummy things happen at work. Your coworkers, you know, screw you over on something, or you're about to leave and you get an assignment, or you get denied vacation or, or something like that. And I think the worldly view is to complain about that and to rail against, you know, this is so unfair, yada, yada, yada. And even though, you know, you might be right, it's not a very healthy thing. But if you take it from the biblical point of view, you can see past that and be okay with that because you're not working for your boss. You're working for God. Mm. And God sees the things that are done in secret. And God, you know, rewards you for, for having an attitude that lines up with his scripture. Yeah, and there might be times when it is appropriate to bring things up to sure. the supervisor or to try to affect change in the in the workplace. Some people are difficult to work with, mm-hmm. and we still have to figure out how to handle ourselves in that situation. You remind me of Colossians 3.22 where Paul is instructing bond servants, and he says... Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. These are slaves in the ancient Roman world in the city of Colossae, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. For whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, God has given to Jesus the job of judgment on the last day, right. and everyone is going to stand before him. And what's interesting in the Bible is there's no separation between your work life and your spiritual life. It's all mixed in together, and part of your spiritual life is working hard while you're working at your job, even if you're a slave in the ancient Roman world and you're dealing with somebody that is difficult. And what he says is, don't just work when he's looking. That's what eye service is. Mm -hmm. As soon as the boss looks over, then everyone's really busy and he looks away. That's the definition of the worldly attitude towards work is, Mm -hmm. you know, ear to the grindstone when the boss is around. We have a saying for when the cat is away, the mice will play. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of another incident. When I was 17, I was part of an entrepreneur program, and I got an internship at a company. 
a tech company. And there was one of these days where, for whatever reason, the boss man and his wife, those were the two marks in this office, they were both gone for whatever reason, and everyone knew they weren't coming back. Instantly, the office turned into like this huge networked game where everyone was shooting each other, and I thought it was just like Christmas or something. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. exciting. And so, of course, I jumped on a woman that has been given the task of supervising the other intern and me, uh, heard somebody in her media area cry out, oh, Sean just killed me. And she got really <laughs> mad and she, she came over and she's like, get off of there. You're not allowed to be on there. I'm like, but Bob's on there and oh, he's so my supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> he was right in the same room. It wasn't like he hit it. So I was forbidden from playing during that mm, time. Busted. That's a good a negative example of what not to do. And we want to be honest people. Another scripture along these lines is 1 Corinthians 10.31, which says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that should include work, right? Mm -hmm. Do all to the glory of God. So whatever it is we're doing, we need to do all things to the glory of God. There's that great Latin phrase, uh, soli deo gloria, that, who, who was it? Bach used to put that on his lyrics at, after he composed a song. And the mindset that whatever I do, all is to the glory of God, whether I'm in this conversation with you right now or whether I'm out throwing the Frisbee with the kids or whatever it is, it's all to the glory of God. And that doesn't, I don't think, mean that I'm constantly shouting hallelujah. Mm -hmm. You made me think of something, this idea of that, say you're a Christian and you know you don't like your job or but you also want to move the word and you want to be a good Christian. How are you going to slack off at work? And then when you're doing the Lord's work of, you know, say you're cleaning the church or you're ministering to somebody or you're helping somebody move, whatever you're doing, the service that you're doing for the Lord, how are you going to separate those two types of work in your heart and in your mind if you're slacking off in one of them? Like you said, everything is to the glory of God. So you can't really in good conscience slack off at your day job that pays the bills and then think that, Oh, well, you know, I'm going to work 100% for the Lord. No, work is work, whether you're doing it for yeah. the Lord or you're doing it for a paycheck. Well, you sure don't want to compromise your witness. No. Mm -hmm. And make it so that should you ever work up the courage to share the gospel or invite somebody to church or to some sort of meeting, you don't want to have them say, in your, say to you, and I've had this said to me before when I was first starting out in Christianity, this sweet girl, her last name was actually Church. And I was, I was talking to her about my faith a little bit, and she, she turned to me and she said, I would have never guessed that you're a Christian. That's a dagger to the heart. And I was just like, ooh. Yeah. There's an indicator right there mm -hmm. of a problem that needs to be fixed. And so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You want to be consistent in your life. I remember not too long ago writing down on a note card. I'm a big proponent of writing things down on note cards. <laughs> you know, one of my goals in life is to be the same no matter what situation I'm in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've struggled with that for years. Like, you know, I'll, I'll act one way around my worldly friends and one way around my Christian friends. And, you know, just come to that place where it's like, that's kind of gross because who are you really then? You're nobody. You're whatever group that you're conforming to. And, you know, just having that realization of like, man, I want to be like even around whatever people group mm -hmm. that, that I'm around. And I think people really respect that, even if they don't agree with you. Like, we all know people who, you know, whether it's in the church or people in our lives outside of the church, that they just always seem to be 
solid and they seem to have the same sort of attitude and magnetism, if you will, that they have. And they, they don't try to pander to a certain situation. Yeah, I think that's, you know, an admirable trait and one that I'm working towards. Yeah, that is living above the scripts, as we talked about earlier. Going back to, well, still that same idea of being at work, basically above reproach and mm-hmm. keeping a clean testimony. I love what Paul says to the Thessalonian believers in First Thessalonians 4. He says, we urge you, brothers, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I love that. And it's keep your head down and uh, it's do good work, but also knowing that people are seeing you Mm. and knowing that in no way should your your performance at work compromise the testimony that you hold in your walk before the outsiders. In Thessalonica, there were people that were not working. Mm. And this is something that the apostle addresses throughout that epistle and for example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, we read, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Whew. And that scripture right there is such a strong statement about work from the Bible. Mm. What's interesting, too, is that the Bible talks a lot about caring for the poor, Mm -hmm. and it has a fully thought out welfare system built into the Old Testament way of life. Yeah. It was based on gleaning, and farmers were not allowed to harvest the crops on the edges of their fields where the field butted up against the road so that the poor, the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the people who couldn't find other ways to get food so that they could glean. They could actually just walk into the field and Ruth did this in the book of Ruth to Boaz's field. And you could just walk in and follow behind the harvesters and pick up whatever they dropped Mm. and as well as harvest the edges of the field. And so that, that gives people the best of both worlds. Like it provides for them graciously, but at the same time they have to get up and they have to gather it themselves. And not that that's the only system that's, that's honorable. I think there's a whole nother discussion really, but what we see here in Second Thessalonians 3.10 is, if you don't work, you really shouldn't be eating. And as soon as I say that, I, I think of, well, what about handicapped people? What about people that can't work? Well, I have seen a really great example in Bud Charbonneau. And I, I don't know to what degree you guys knew Bud, but he was in a forklift accident many years ago, and it crushed his back. And so he lived in chronic pain, Mm. severe chronic pain. I mean, really hard to even imagine how he just made it day in and day out or slept at night. I don't think he slept much, actually. And so he was limited and he was on assistance. And yet what he did is he spent his time studying the Bible. He spent his time reading Christian books. He didn't even have a TV. You would think if somebody gets the golden ticket of disability, if you want to look at it like that, what are you going to do? You're going to catch up on all your shows and you're, mm. you're just going to binge watch everything and live the good life, so to speak. Well, he does the opposite. He gets rid of his TV because he feels like it's, it's sucking him in too much. Yeah. And he came to Bible studies. He attended meetings and he was a big help in the recovery communities, helping people get off drugs and alcohol and he mentored people. He poured his life into people. And he was 
always quick to volunteer at the church. And he came to everything. He showed up to everything. And he, and he was very busy babysitting his grandchildren mm -hmm. because there was a need there. And so you take somebody like Bud and, you know, the scripture says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Well, he did work. Mm. Now, his work didn't provide his food, you know, because he was on government assistance, which was a very reasonable situation for his condition. But he did whatever work he could do to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And he had a good life. Yeah. Despite all of that. I spent one morning with uh, Bud Charbonneau. It was before RFR like two years ago, and we went around Latham and put up signs. And he did most of the driving, and I did most of the, the like jumping out of the car and putting the signs up. But man, he wanted to help me as much as possible uh, with all of that. And at one point, uh, we did go back to his house, and I saw the books everywhere, like laid out so neatly. Like he was reading 200 books at once. It almost looked like all books about the Bible and, and getting to know God better. And I saw what kind of person he was, like, really, really deeply that time. But also, through all of it, he was so personable with me. And we didn't know each other very well beforehand. It was just sort of like a superficial acquaintance. But after that, like, we were good friends. Mm. After a few hours together that morning, um, he ministered to me. He blessed me in many ways with his presence and the joy of the Lord that he had through all of that. Even if you're not getting paid for it, we're still meant to work. Yeah. and to work honorably and to work heartily. And it might be a different form of work, but I suggest that prayer is an excellent form of work. Yeah. Some of the most valuable work, I think, is on a volunteer basis. You could sort of put prayer in, in that category. But, I mean, you think about people that volunteer for their local fire department. You know, they don't get paid for that, but they'll wake up at 2 in the morning and, and respond to your house fire and, and help you out. You know, like that's that's honorable work. And another function of work that, we haven't talked about yet, I don't think, is being able to work that you can give to those that need. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then it says in um, 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I, mean, I think if you take those two verses together, it's clear that work is also a vehicle by which you provide for people, you know, and I think that's outside of tithing that, that you're supposed to do. Uh, a great example of this is my cousin, Chris, who, you know, this is a guy who very much provides for his family monetarily. And also with his time, he helped me with a car loan, uh, when I was younger, when I was in my late teens, he's always quick to provide for his family. And I remember talking with him one night and he's like, I want to make a lot of money. And I don't want to make a lot of money to buy a 50,000 square foot house and have like three jet skis and an indoor basketball court. I want to make a lot of money so I can like hook my family up and, and you know, whatever they need and, and like take care of debts and, and be able to provide. And, you know, I grew up with him, so it's hard for me to think that he meant that in any other way, but genuine. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the attitude that we have to have. Like how blessed are we to have the agency and the opportunity to work? What other response is there than to, try to seek out situations that we can help other people through the work that we do. That's excellent. One of the things that I think is important to take away from this is that we've stated it several times is that first of all, work is a gift from God. Work is good. Work is a blessing. And that if at all possible, you want to take pleasure in your work. You want to work hard and, and feel good about it. Whether it's a physical job, a mental job, a relational job, a sales job, whatever kind of job it is you're working, you want to look at that as a blessing from God and an opportunity to have a testimony and have a witness with people to show them 
the difference between a Christian and a worldly person. And, and to be grateful for our jobs, whatever job it is. I mean, I've worked some pretty crummy jobs in my time, and yet you can still be thankful for it. So we could discuss next time the scenario where you're stuck in a job that is just no, there's just no enjoyment in at all. Right. How do you not fall into like inertia of just it being a chain around your neck? Yeah. So that's all we have for today. Uh, Do you guys want to offer any concluding thoughts? I just think about uh, Romans 12 and that idea of being a living sacrifice and that work is an opportunity. It's really even an opportunity for your own fulfillment, but like everything else in a life that is lived as a living sacrifice, it's an opportunity for worship and for dedication and to come at, you know, trying to be unblemished in your offering to offer God the best that you can. Mm. Work is a sacrifice in, in some regards. And I just go back to the thought of, of, that idea in Colossians 3, uh, you're working for the Lord and not for others. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, do from the heart as for the Lord, not for others. After this podcast, I'm going to keep that on my desk, perhaps, and, and really try to plant that deep in my heart and write it on the table in my heart because it's, A, the way we should be thinking, and B, it's useful because when trials come up at work, if you take the biblical point of view that you're working for God and not for men, I think it can help get rid of some of those feelings of discontent and of being fed up with things. That's all we have time for today. Guys, thank you for listening as always. And uh, please leave us feedback. It would be helpful for us if you told stories about these topics from your own life so that we could sort of see what listeners are thinking about and how the podcast is playing and how how it might apply to your life. So definitely encourage you to do that. But thank you for listening. Mm. It's been a pleasure talking. We encourage you to join the conversation, give us your feedback, uh, share your perspective with us, and we'll talk to you next week. Auf Wiedersehen. It's a good one. I like it. I hope you enjoyed our discussion about the Christian work ethic. We'll be back next week with part two. But for now, I just wanted to read out a couple of more reviews that we received in iTunes. The first one comes from username Above, and... This person gave us a five-star rating and wrote the following. Addressing cultural narratives, Sean and his colleagues, Dan and Rose, have a great take on culture today. I have enjoyed listening to their off-script series on the narratives that dominate our culture. We need to be able to recognize the powerful influences on our hearts and minds from our culture and how the teaching of Jesus corrects those ideas. Take some time and listen. You'll enjoy it. Thank you for that. And our other review comes from Pastor Victor, who gave us a five-star rating and wrote the following. Love this podcast. A great and diverse collection of sermons, talks, and topics keep me engaged and inspired to do just as the podcast proposes. Get me thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, inspire me to follow Christ, and convict me to lead a consecrated life. I particularly like the off-script episodes. Rose, Dan, and Sean are engaging and enjoyable to listen to, and the topics they discuss are incredibly relevant. They are fair in their conversation and bring out great points throughout. I am particularly impressed by Rose and Dan's perspective and insight. I listen when I'm working around the house, exercising, driving, or anytime. I can't wait for each off-script episode to be released. More, please. Keep up the great work. Well, hey, thanks for taking the time to write these. They are so encouraging to read. 
With a medium like podcasting, sometimes it feels a bit lonely, but your reviews and feedback keep us going. If it's not too much trouble, why not add your voice as well on iTunes or Stitcher? The more reviews we get, the better we'll show up in search engines so other people can find this show and learn how to engage relevant issues from a biblical perspective as well. We'll see you next time, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.